Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by AJC and the Times of Israel. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines and help you understand what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. This weekend marks the one-year anniversary of the shooting at the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh. It's also the second annual show up for Shabbat. On the weekend right after the shooting, we at AJC encouraged Jews and our allies around the world to go to synagogue and show up for Shabbat. It became the largest demonstration of solidarity with the Jewish people in world history. This year, as we mark the tragic anniversary, we hope you'll show up for Shabbat again on this weekend, October 25th and 26th. Head to AJC.org slash show up for Shabbat to learn more. Manya, who did you chat with this week? Avi Mayer, the Managing Director of Global Communications for AJC, who spearheaded an unprecedented survey of American Jewish attitudes about anti-Semitism. How about you? For my interview, I really zoomed in on Pittsburgh and spoke with Jeff Finkelstein, the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation in Pittsburgh. So let's dive right in and hear those conversations now. Sunday, October 27th, will mark exactly one year since the deadly shooting at Pittsburgh's Tree of Life congregation. We spoke with Jeff Finkelstein, president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh, to get a sense of how Pittsburgh is doing one year out. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks uh, for asking me to do this. Now, we're almost exactly one year out from the attack that Jews all across America felt in our own way, but the victims were in Pittsburgh. So I should start by asking, how is the Jewish community in Pittsburgh doing? So I think you're actually starting with the right question. The answer is complicated and complex because when we talk about the community, we're all victims. And there are different levels of victims, obviously the families who lost loved ones, the people who were injured, those who were in the synagogue but escaped and saw the shooter, people in the parking lot, the Jewish community of Squirrel Hill, the general community of Squirrel Hill, the Jewish community of Greater Pittsburgh, etc. And so there were all these rungs. And I think if you ask representatives of each of them on different days, you'll get a different answer. Um, So the real answer in one word is, it depends. You just reminded me of a poem that you might be familiar with called The Diameter of the Bomb by Yehuda Amichai. It's a, a famous poem by a famous Israeli poet, and it's too long to read into the record here, but maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. But in it, he basically talks about the concentric circles of, you know, He's speaking, of course, about a a bombing in Israel, but he says the diameter of the bomb was 30 centimeters, but the range of the people who it hit and the people who were affected by that and the people who cared about that further and further. And, And he ends by saying, and I won't even mention the howl of orphans that reaches up to the throne of God and beyond, making a circle with no end and no God, which is perhaps deeper than either of us intended to go there. But you're certainly right to point out that the attack took place in one location, but it was felt everywhere. It definitely has ripple effects. Um, By the way, Yehuda Amichai uh, was my professor at the Hebrew University when I was there for my junior year. And I actually don't remember studying that poem, but I'm sure I did at one point. Uh, I'm now going to have to go back and (laughs) and reread it. You know, and I can speak personally 
there are days where I feel it more than others. As we approach the one-year marker and I'm looking at some of the drafts of videos that are going to be used, um, I, I end up in tears. Mm. And um, and other times I'm fine. When the attack happened in Poway, that re-traumatized people in the community, including people like me. So I just think there are good days, there are bad days. And I'll end this part just by saying that one of the blessings in my professional work has been getting to know especially the victims' families who were closest to the incident. They are truly remarkable, wonderful, strong, inspiring people. That's, um, that's, that's beautiful. Um, a year ago, so what, when this happened, Pittsburgh became a metonym for anti-Semitism in America, right? It became a kind of shorthand. When many people today say Pittsburgh, they don't mean the city on the Allegheny River. They mean the place where an anti-Semite attacked a synagogue. And yet for you, it's home, right? It's where you raise your kids. It's where you work. And perhaps not only where you go to work, but it's the community that you really help to lead. Has it been jarring that disconnect between the city people talk about and the one that you live in? It's actually interesting. I just I wrote a piece and I haven't done anything with it yet on this topic specifically because I really it might even be anger that I feel when people refer to what happened here as Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They say we have to remember Pittsburgh. Yeah. And when I what I want them to know about Pittsburgh is that this is an incredible unique Jewish community. This is a place that's growing with close to 50,000 Jews today. That's getting younger with millennials pouring into our city because of the increase in eds and meds, higher education, Mm -hmm. medical Mm -hmm. work, and and high tech in general. And it is, and I always state this without actually ever researching it, uh, (laughs) but it never stops me. It is the last major urban-centered Jewish community in North America outside of New York. Mm Every other Jewish community that I know of, that's a major community, has moved out of the city itself. We are still centered in the city of Pittsburgh with the diversity of that Jewish community there. It is an incredible place. And that's when it comes to the Jewish community is what Pittsburgh should mean. And when it comes to being just a city, this is the city that built America. It had the third most Fortune 500 companies in America after New York and Chicago for a number of years. It literally built America with its steel. And those are the things that people need to remember about Pittsburgh. This week, AJC released the findings of a new survey of American Jews' feelings about anti-Semitism. And in the survey, we found that a quarter of American Jews uh, say that they avoid certain places, events, or situation out of concern for their safety as Jews. 47% report that Jewish institutions with which they are affiliated have been targeted by anti-Semitic threats, graffiti, or attacks. And more than half of American Jews report having police and or private guards posted outside of their institutions. What has the hardening of Jewish communal spaces looked like in Pittsburgh? So just to take it back, prior to October 27th, a year and a half before, we hired a Jewish community security director at the Federation to start looking at that. And his work saved lives on October 27th. We, we know that from people who survived. In 24 hours after the shooting took place, we convened all of our Jewish institutions for a briefing with our security director, FBI, police, uh, local politicians, 
and talked about what was going on in the community. And we at the Federation made the decision. We hired armed guards throughout the Jewish community for the next four weeks. We paid for it. And the whole idea was to build resilience. We didn't want people scared of coming into our Jewish institutions. 48 hours after the shooting, the largest Jewish preschool, which is located at our JCC in Squirrel Hill, all but one family showed up. That's what we were aiming for. And yes, facilities have been physically hardened and there are additions of new personnel for security at many of them as well. Someone asked me about this earlier today and, you know, has it had an impact on people? My own synagogue, I was just there uh, for Simchat Torah and Shemini Atzeret. I know the armed guard, the people who come a lot, we know that guard. He is not Jewish. He wishes you a Shabbat Shalom on Shabbat and a Chag Sameach <laughs> on the holiday. Yeah. It's not jarring. It's comforting, actually, for most people, I think. And he's almost a member of the community. And it's really, it's been beautiful. And I think that's the way a lot of the institutions have tried to deal with the addition of security personnel. Now, the Tree of Life congregation, uh, where the shooting took place last year, issued a statement just last week to announce its new vision for the synagogue building, a new mission for that institution. Can you tell us more about that? Before I answer the question, I want to just make sure we make one point, that it was the Tree of Life building where the attack took place, and that building housed three congregations, right. Tree of Life, New Light and Dor Chadash. And I, I know you know that, Steffi, but I want to make sure your listeners mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. It's really important that people realize that. So they've been talking about this for several months now with different parties that might be interested in co-locating and collaborating on the site. There's just been one initial meeting with the group. I, I know that because uh, we at the Federation helped convene that first meeting. And there are a lot of details to be worked out. I think the congregation Tree of Life itself, the owner of the building, has been very public, especially Rabbi Myers and and their president, that they are committed to reopening on that site in some way. What it looks like exactly, I, I think, will take some time. But the idea that Jewish life will continue on that corner in Squirrel Hill, I think, is definitely is key to their thinking. I just want to close by asking uh, you, Jeff, how are you going to be spending the day? I'm sure you're going to be on call and and working throughout, but what will you be doing to commemorate next week? So the day has been planned. Um, There's been a group that's been meeting from about the third week after the shooting. They've been meeting every Thursday, and that group is convened by actually part of the federal government with representatives of the three impacted congregations. It's the Jewish Federation, our Jewish Community Center, our Jewish Family and Community Services, another local nonprofit called the Center for Victims, and a couple of official representatives of the victims' families themselves. And they have put together the framework of what will be happening that day. My Federation team is the one that's actually done the heavy lifting to make it all happen, and that's what I'll be participating in. Starting at 11 a.m., we have volunteer activities. We have slots for slightly over 800 people. As of today, I know we're well over 700 are already filled, and the idea is that we're going to make the world a better place in the name of those lives we lost. Very traditional Jewish way to do it. At 2 o'clock, the next traditional Jewish way 
to remember those who we've lost will be Torah study. And I, I think we're approaching 400 people now registered for that with lots of different teachers representing all the different streams of Judaism, which is, I think, uh, the way we function in Pittsburgh, working together. And then at five o'clock will be a large community gathering, should be run about an hour or so. And most of that, again, centered around those we lost. Everything that's happening that day is victim-centered and trauma-informed because it's a local incident in Pittsburgh, whereas the rest of the country um, that are doing things, for them, it's not their neighborhood per se. And so that's how I'll be spending my day is going to each of these things and being with our community. Well, Jeff, our thoughts will be with you as you do that. Thank you so much for joining us on People of the Pod. Thanks, Effie. On Wednesday, the American Jewish Committee released an unprecedented survey of American Jews on the subject of anti-Semitism, the first in at least half a century. The survey measures how Jews across the United States feel about anti-Semitism, how they've experienced it, and what steps they've taken to protect themselves. The results of the AJC survey are troubling, to be sure. Here with us to discuss the results is Avi Mayer, Managing Director of Global Communications for AJC. Avi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Manya. Good to be here. So, Avi, tell us, this is the most comprehensive survey of American Jews regarding anti-Semitism. Why now? Well, we felt that the time had come for an in-depth examination of American Jews and their perceptions of anti-Semitism in America today, uh, particularly in light of developments over the past year. We're referring, of course, to the horrific attacks in Pittsburgh and Poway, Um, but also to a disturbing increase in anti-Semitic sentiment on both the far right and the hard left. As we see on the basis of the survey, those sentiments are being felt by American Jews and internalized as a real threat. So how many respondents told us they believe anti-Semitism is a serious problem? Well, 88 percent of respondents, which means basically nine out of 10 American Jews, believe that anti-Semitism is a problem in America today. Um, And eight out of 10, uh, approximately 84 percent, said that it increased over the past five years. These are extremely alarming numbers. And they show that anti-Semitism is very much on the minds of American Jews. And it's something that concerns them greatly. Um, And it's something that they see steadily increasing um, and to which they see no end in sight. So now AJC does an annual survey of American Jewish opinion. Do we ask this question annually? Does, does AJC ask this question annually? We ask questions in our annual surveys of American Jews about whether they feel that the situation of Jews in America is more or less secure now than it was a year ago. Um, we have not until now uh, done an in-depth investigation into anti-Semitism more broadly, how it is experienced, how it is perceived by American Jews. Um, that's really what sets this survey apart, not only from our surveys, but from any other surveys ever done of American Jews. It really is, a, I think, a watershed moment in our understanding uh, of how American Jews are feeling about hatred that's focused on them today. Do the responses over the recent years to the American Jewish Opinion Survey on the question of whether or not they feel safe, are they analogous to what we found in this survey? Well, interestingly, and and perhaps not at all surprisingly, uh, the last time we conducted our survey of American Jews ahead of our global forum this past year in 2019, um, we did see 
that American Jews uh, felt significantly less secure then than they did a year earlier. That was perhaps explained by the fact that uh, the Pittsburgh and Poway attacks happened in the interim. Um, what we see in this survey actually is a slight decrease in that number. People who feel that their situation is less secure now are somewhat fewer than they had been then, but there's a much larger group that says they feel basically the same as they did a year ago, um, and virtually no one feels any safer. The number of respondents who said that they feel safer today than they did a year ago is virtually uh, not. Interesting. So there have been other surveys that measure anti-Semitism around the world. Tell us about the model that was used for this particular survey. Well, what's so striking uh, about anti-Semitism in America today is that no one has asked these questions before. In the past decade alone, there have been two comprehensive surveys of European Jews conducted by the European Union that asked them exactly these questions. How are you feeling about anti-Semitism? How do you experience it? What have you done in response? There has been no such survey done of American Jews, at least in the past half century, which is really quite incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so in crafting our survey, we actually based it in part on those surveys that had been conducted of European Jews. We also integrated some questions that we have used over the years in our surveys of American Jews. And we added some other questions that we felt were particularly relevant to ask at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So I've seen the results of those European surveys. Would you say that these results were as shocking? I mean, is it a situation that is as dire uh, here in America as it is in Europe? It certainly is not. Uh, we don't have a situation, thank God, in which American Jews feel any need to leave America. Overwhelmingly, American Jews do feel comfortable as Americans. But it is undeniable that this is something that is very much on American Jews' minds, uh, that is of, of great concern to them, uh, to which they have taken certain steps in response, including at times concealing signs of their Jewishness in public. Um, and that, I think, should serve as a wake-up call to all of us. Um, we certainly uh, are nowhere near uh, the level of insecurity that many Jews feel in certain European countries. Um, and we must do everything we can to ensure that we don't come even close to getting to that situation. Now, we've certainly seen the reports of anti-Semitic incidents across the country, around the world, um, especially the one on Yom Kippur in Germany. But this survey measures perceptions. And I'm curious how the perceptions broke down along certain lines, for example, along political party lines. Can you speak to how the perceptions broke down that way? So first of all, it's important to note that there is extremely broad consensus amongst American Jews, regardless of political, religious, age differences, that anti-Semitism is a profound problem in America today. That said, the breakdown of how American Jews assign responsibility for anti-Semitism did in fact fall to a large extent along party lines. So American Jews who identify as Democrats tended to find more fault on the right, whereas those who identify as Republican tended to find greater fault on the left. But it is important to note that a significant number of American Jews did also find responsibility within their own political camps. And so many Democrats said that the Democratic Party has a problem and does share some portion of the blame for anti-Semitism in America, and, and Republicans said the same. And so it's important for us to realize that while there are certainly uh, differences along political lines and perhaps under denominational lines as well, at the end of the day, there's a broad recognition that 
anti-Semitism comes from many sources, and it must be addressed wherever it may be found. Now, I want to go back to something that you alluded to earlier, Avi. You talked about steps that people take to conceal their Jewishness. I'm a child of the 70s. I grew up in an era when terrorists were hijacking airplanes. My parents told me never wear jewelry or any symbols of Jewishness that reveal that I'm Jewish. And so I found that particular part of the survey particularly compelling, if not disturbing. Um, Can you speak a little bit about what you found in terms of the steps people sometimes take to conceal the fact that they're Jewish? Look, I wear a kippah. Mm -hmm. Um, I am openly identifiable as Jewish. I wear it openly and proudly, whether I'm in Israel or in the United States. But in recent years, I have avoided doing that in certain European countries and other places in the world. Hmm. I have never felt a need to do that in America, but it appears as though many American Jews do feel that need. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to our findings, nearly a third, 31% uh, of American Jews said that they've avoided publicly wearing, carrying, or displaying things that might help people identify them as Jewish. And about a quarter say that they avoid certain places, events, or situations out of concern for their safety or comfort as Jews, at least some of the time. Mm-hmm. These are extremely alarming numbers. Yeah. And what I think is perhaps most alarming is that the group that said that they do this the most, meaning the, the group that is most prone to hiding expressions of their Jewishness is actually young people. Uh, those between the ages of 18 and 29, nearly one in four, 38 percent, said that they conceal their Jewishness in public at least some of the time. And that is something that should be tremendously alarming to all of us. If we find that young people today don't feel comfortable expressing their Jewishness openly, that, I think, is something that should be of tremendous concern to all of us. Did the survey also explore what denomination of Judaism feels more compelled to hide their Jewishness, whether it be Reform, Conservative, Orthodox? So we found that overwhelmingly those individuals who identify with a denomination, whether it's Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructionist, tended to feel more vulnerable than those who did not identify with any denomination. Mm. But again, this is something that is felt very deeply by American Jews across the board. Mm-hmm. Secular Jews, Jews who did not identify with any particular Jewish denomination, also overwhelmingly feel that anti-Semitism is a serious problem in America today. And that, again, I think speaks to the sense of vulnerability that many American Jews are feeling in this very sensitive time. Yeah. So how many believe, how many respondents believe that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic? Well, this, I thought, was actually a very important part of the survey. There's been a lot of conversation over the past year regarding how the conversation around Israel ties into the conversation about anti-Semitism. And what we found is that American Jews overwhelmingly see a strong link between anti-Israel sentiment and actions and anti-Semitism. So, for example, 84% of American Jews said that statement, Israel has no right to exist, is Mm anti-Semitic. What they're essentially saying is that anti-Zionism, which is the belief that the state of Israel has no right to exist, is an expression of Jew hatred. And this, of course, is extremely important as we explore questions of what does or does not cross the line into anti-Semitism and the conversation around Israel. And Mm -hmm. I think strikingly, and this perhaps defies a lot of the conventional wisdom uh, about Israel and about how it's perceived by American Jews, 78% of young people, meaning those between the ages of 18 to 29, also said that that statement, Israel has no right to exist, is anti-Semitic. So claims that the younger generation is somehow more prone to anti-Zionist sentiment 
is simply proven to be false. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see that there is a very strong sense of identification with the state of Israel. One of the other questions that we asked was about the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement against the state of Israel. Very, very few, approximately 14% of respondents said that it was not anti-Semitic. The rest said it was either mostly anti-Semitic or not mostly anti-Semitic, but has anti-Semitic supporters. Um, And again, it was young people who actually felt most strongly about this. The fewest uh, young people actually said it was not anti-Semitic. 88% said it was either mostly anti-Semitic or has anti-Semitic supporters. So I think we have to be very careful with how we talk about this issue and the conventional wisdom of young people somehow distancing from their identification with Israel, we find that is simply not the case. Mm-hmm. Again, did the belief that re- rejecting Israel's right to exist, did that break down along denominational lines? There was a very strong sense amongst Jews of all denominational affiliations and none that the denial of Israel's right to exist is, in fact, a form of anti-Semitism. We asked, by the way, a similar question about two other statements, one being that the U.S. government only supports Israel because of Jewish money, and the other being that American Jews are more loyal to Israel than to America. And again, overwhelmingly, American Jews across denominations and political affiliations did identify those as anti-Semitic statements. Mm, Interesting. Now, what should people take away from this survey? What does the American Jewish Committee hope to accomplish with this? And yeah, what should people take away from it? I think that there are two main lessons for us here. The first is that anti-Semitism is a multi-headed problem. It comes from the far right. It comes from the far left. It comes from extremists who claim to be acting in the name of Islam. And it comes from movements that target the state of Israel. And addressing only one of them at the expense of the others or ignoring any of them while trying to focus on one, perhaps on the other side of the political divide, is to miss the point entirely. This is something that requires all of our efforts. It requires a bipartisan campaign on the part of both Democrats and Republicans to very seriously address the problem of anti-Semitism within their own camp and then to band together in order to address this on a national level. I think that's the first lesson. The second lesson, I think, is that American Jews know anti-Semitism when they see it. All we need to do is ask them what they consider to be anti-Semitic, whether they are feeling anti-Semitism on a day-to-day basis, whether they feel it's a problem in America today, and they will tell you the answer. (laughs) So we don't need to walk around speculating what American Jews may or may not regard as anti-Semitic. Now is the time to listen to American Jews, hear what they have to say, and act accordingly. Avi, thank you so much for breaking down these survey results for us. The results can be found on AJC's website, AJC.org. Avi, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Manya. Now it's time for our new closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. When you're talking with your family and friends at your Shabbat table this weekend, Manya, what will you be talking about? Sefi, I will be thinking a lot about the lives that were lost a year ago inside the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and the importance of precision, which as a religion reporter, I have shamefully let slide in the past year. In the Jewish community, you you say Pittsburgh and everyone knows what it means, or Tree of Life. Of course, we're talking about the shooting last year. But Jeff Finkelstein made a really good point, um, one that I have been contemplating lately, and that is that the Tree of Life only refers to one congregation, the one who happens to own the building. 
It's important to remember there were three congregations worshiping inside that building that day, two conservative congregations, Tree of Life and New Light, and a Reconstructionist congregation, Dor Hadash. We cannot use shorthand to refer to this tragedy. First, poor Pittsburgh. They don't want this to define that city, the city of steel. Second, it's so important to honor the spiritual traditions of the people who died in prayer that morning. It honors how they connected with God when they were still with us here on earth. And it also, it sheds some light on how differently people grieve. For some, in the conservative congregations, for example, it's the daily tradition of reciting Kaddish that gets them through their lives and their days, or envisioning how worshipers will return to that sanctuary in a meaningful way one of these days. And for others, like some members of Dor Hadash, it's pushing to ban guns and fight anti-Semitism and do whatever it takes to prevent this from happening to anyone else. And for others, it's all the above. It's nothing. None of that. They're still just too numb. So how do you move on from a tragedy like that? How do all of us move on? And that is what I will be wrestling with at the Shabbat table, Sefi, discussing with friends and family on this yard site. How about you? Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I love how you took your keen journalistic eye and applied it to what we heard from Jeff and, and what we've seen in so much of the discourse around last year's tragedy. I'll be talking about show up for Shabbat. You know, when we first launched show up for Shabbat last year in the wake of the horrible shooting in Pittsburgh, I wrote an op-ed in USA Today inspired by an essay that a friend had introduced me to years ago when I was an undergraduate. That piece was called How to Fight Anti-Semitism, and it was written a generation ago by a different Columbia student named Zev Magen. I remember thinking as I read it for the first time, probably five, six, seven years ago now, that it seemed like the essay erupted in a fury from Magen's mind. Here's one memorable excerpt from it. He writes, a man calls you a pig. Do you walk around with a sign explaining that, in fact, you are not a pig? Do you hand out leaflets expostulating in detail upon the manifold differences between you and a pig? A pig has a snout. I have a nose. A pig wallows in mud. I only occasionally step in a puddle and then, of course, inadvertently. Do you stand on a soapbox and discourse eruditely on why, in general, it is extremely not nice to call people pigs and appeal to the populace to please have no truck with an individual rude and nasty enough to say such things about an upstanding citizen like yourself? No, Magen writes in all caps, you don't protest anti-Semitism. He goes on to say, the only answer to anti-Semitism is Jewish growth, is Jewish knowledge, is Jewish joy, is a deepened Jewish commitment, a more powerful internal Jewish cohesion, a more vigorous dedication to Jewish and Zionist outreach. You combat anti-Semitism, Magen wrote in 1990, by promoting that which the anti-Semite wants to crush, Jewish vitality. And that's what Show Up for Shabbat is all about, right? Of course, it's also to remember the people who were killed in Pittsburgh. And it's also to give our allies from other faith communities a chance to rally with us. And it's also a chance to put our thumb in the eye of anti-Semites and say, you lose, we're still here. But most importantly, it's a chance to be Jewish, proudly. So people of the pod, please, this weekend, show up for Shabbat. And then send us your Show Up for Shabbat stories to peopleofthepod at ajc.org. That's our show for this week. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC and the Times of Israel. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. 
If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC and the Times of Israel. Our producer is Kukong Do. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People Love the Pod. 